Hi, this is Dr. Jennifer Daniels, and welcome to Healing with Dr. Daniels. Today is Tuesday, July 26, 2016, and today's topic is, if you knew a drug increased your chances of cancer by 800%, would you take it? Now, there is a question. There is a question. So if you knew that something would give you cancer, would you take it? You know, I often wondered about this, of course, from a doctor's perspective. If I knew something caused cancer, would I prescribe it? And in medical school, I often thought about that. And we were told in medical school that, thank God for the FDA. And that's why we have the FDA. So the FDA can protect us by not authorizing or approving the use of drugs that would be harmful to people. So today, we're going to examine a drug that was approved by the FDA, still is approved by the FDA, and uh, has been demonstrated to increase cancer, um, anywhere from six to eight-fold. So 15 million Americans are taking this drug. And this is according to the medical industrial complex itself. Their number is not mine. And so another question to ask yourself is, if you were in charge, what would you do? So, as a human being concerned with your personal health, would you take it? And then if you were in charge, what would you do? So tonight we're going to talk about this, not only this drug, but this class of drugs, um, the evidence that it causes cancer. Uh, again, this is referenced by the medical industrial complex itself, and how you can protect yourself. As always, think happens. All right, so let's take a take a little gander here. First of all, let's talk about the drug. The drug is a very common drug. It's now over the counter. It was released uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. And these are proton pump inhibitors. Proton pump inhibitors. Yep. Also known as PPIs. PPIs. Nice, harmless name. Now, in medical school, of course, when I started in 1979, we had Tagamet, which would uh, lower uh, the acid in your stomach and raise the pH. Um, and that was uh, considered to be a major breakthrough because, of course, it replaced those antacids. And then we had the proton pump inhibitors, which shut down the body's ability to even create acid and really raise the pH of the stomach in many cases as high as uh, seven. And this was, of course, associated with tremendous relief from the symptoms of indigestion. So let's take a look and see what we know. Uh, let's start with a healthy stomach. So I took a bunch of healthy people and uh, measured their pH to see what the pH was. So what is the acidity or the pH of the stomach in a healthy person? And this is on um, the uh, National Library of Medicine.gov website, PubMed, you know, official um, information source here. And it says the pH in the upper gastrointestinal tract, that'd be the stomach, of young healthy men and women was measured in the fasting state and after administration of a standard solid liquid meal. 
And so uh, it was found that in the fasting state, the median gastric pH, the gastric is stomach, was 1.7. For those of you interested or familiar with acid, this is pretty darn acidy and pretty low. So 1.7 was the median pH in the stomach of a healthy person in the fasting state. So we can deduce, reasonably, that if the pH is substantially different from that, the person might be in a, well, unhealthy fasting state. All right, so let's take a look at parasites. We all know about parasites, something that we fear. These are these little visitors that eat our food, and when they get through eating our food, by golly, they eat us. Okay, so this is uh, from the colorado.edu outreach site. And they're giving this instruction to education people who educate other people. So this is from the basically Colorado uh, Educational Outreach Department. And so what they said is strategies that microbes use to invade the stomach. And until recently, it was thought that no invading microbes were able to grow and colonize the stomach due to the very low pH. And this is what was taught, by the way, in medical school. So, of course, this makes no sense because there are bacteria in the small intestine and in the large intestine. So, if they can't get in through the stomach, how'd they get there? But, at any rate, I digress. So, recently, it was discovered that Helicobacter pylori, this is a parasite responsible for stomach ulcers, has been shown to grow in the stomach and cause stomach ulcers and by implication, cancer, stomach cancer. It survives stomach acid by secreting urea and thus raising the pH around itself. So clearly, if the pH in the stomach is raised, then the helicobacter pylori can invade the stomach and cause problems without having to provide its own urea. It just makes it a lot easier. So a higher pH in the stomach increases your chances of helicobacter pylori infection and therefore, by implication, stomach ulcers, and cancer. And so they talk about the ways that microbes can protect themselves from the acid. And so um, they can capsules, they can have a cyst. But guess what? Vibrio cholera, uh, Shigella, which is dysentery, and all they need is low stomach acidity, which is a stomach acid of pH of 3 to 4. So when the stomach acid rises to 3, or stomach pH, excuse me, rises to 3 or 4, which means a, a diminishing or lessening of acid in the stomach, then cholera and shigella dysentery move right in. And they say, by the way, only 10 organisms are needed for infection. So anything that's going to raise the stomach pH above 3 is going to lead a person open to uh, infection with cholera and shigella. These are uh, infections in the intestines which can be deadly. In other words, can lead to death. So we now know that all we need is a stomach pH of 3 or more, and this person is seriously compromised, open to infection, 
And again, we have Helicobacter pylori implicated in stomach cancer. And so anything that raises the pH is going to give this effect. All right, so we got that. Healthy pH, 1.7, pH of 3, uh, parasites invade, and you get diarrhea and stomach cancer. So let's take a look at the uh, proton pump inhibitors. These are PPIs. And naturally, we have to thank our government, uh, National Library of Medicine, NIH, for giving us this article. It says, proton pump inhibitors, the culprit for Barrett's esophagitis, question mark. Now, culprit means the cause of or the blame for Barrett's esophagitis. Barrett's esophagitis, for those of you who are not familiar, is um, a lesion in the esophagus which leads to cancer of the esophagus. All right. So Barrett's esophagitis is a condition in which the skin, I'm giving you the English translation, we're not using big words here, of the distal esophagus, that means the part of the esophagus close to the stomach, undergoes transformation, which predisposes to esophageal adenocarcinoma, in other words, cancer. The cause or consensus of Barrett's esophagitis remains a matter of debate. However, a strong association with reflux disease has been documented and um, most likely due to a lack, okay, so the, the alarming increase of esophageal cancer by 600% for the past 25 years suggests that Barrett's esophagitis has increased as well. We don't know that, but we do know there's been an alarming increase of 600% of esophageal cancer in the past 25 years. This was published January 20, uh, 2015, so 25 years would be more or less, this was noticed in 1990. Okay, so this is, well, the origin hypothesis is that proton pump inhibitors increase the stomach pH, leading to toxicity. It's a fancy word we're saying is that, well, <clears throat> we think the proton pump inhibitors are causing this increase in cancer. And so now, uh, this is a medical journal article, right? So they go on to dispute and debate how the proton pump inhibitors cause this elevated pH and the six-fold increase in cancer. Now remember, they're not debating if. They're debating how. And so they go on to, to uh, debate this. And then they say Helicobacter pylori, we mentioned that before, but it causes stomach cancer. Maintenance of an intragastric pH safe zone below four in the context of proton pump inhibitor treatment. Further, it's been observed for patients who had regularly taken acid-suppressing medication. The reasons behind this association remain unknown. Congruent with our hypothesis, we propose that helicobacter pylori infection or NSAIDs, those are arthritis pills, may be countering the effect of acid-suppressing medications for establishing a steady pH lower than 4. 
And so the stomach pH less than four is what's needed to uh, prevent cancer. And so the significance of, so the conflict of interest statement acknowledges reference. So what they're saying then is to add NSAID therapy, which is an arthritis pill, to lower the pH while you're giving proton pump inhibitor therapy. Now we know that when you give NSAID, which is a arthritis type pill, you increase death by people bleeding to death. And that is actually more frequent than um, esophageal cancer. So the key concept here is that proton pump inhibitors increase the frequency of esophageal cancer sixfold yet, yet. They're still okay by the FDA, number one. And number two, they're still prescribed by doctors. And number three, they're even over the counter. And so it, it seems there's been a serious failure of the FDA uh, protective mechanism, as well as a failure of the standard of care and uh, even a failure just of a public uh, understanding or knowledge. Now, when I was in um, medical actually I was out of medical school and proton pump inhibitors were in uh, introduce and it was determined during the case uh, of research that that proton pump inhibitors caused cancer in rats after eight weeks of use and this was a uh, this is scandalous. So, of course, as it was rolled out, as it was introduced, doctors were told, hey, this, this medicine causes cancer. This medicine causes cancer in rats. And so, of course, my question was, well, if it causes cancer in rats, why are we prescribing it for people? And of course, this was considered a pretty uh, silly question to ask. I said, well, Dr. Daniels, just because it causes uh, uh, cancer in rats, that doesn't mean it's going to cause cancer in people. Of course, my next question was, well, wait a minute. Aren't we doing all of this research on animals so that we don't introduce into humans a, a drug that would cause cancer in animals. Well, then they said, well, you know, Dr. Daniels, uh, this indigestion that people have is so annoying. 
It is so intense. It's so inconvenient. But then we cannot allow people to suffer like this. So this drug has to be introduced. Anyway, despite the um, obviously that we know it causes cancer. Now, the first proton pump inhibitor in the United States was introduced in uh, 1989. And the increase in cancer, again, they averaged it over the past uh, 25 years, but probably the most recent numbers are far higher than the numbers in 
absorption B12 was dependent on gastric acid. And so, of course, uh, the problem is that uh, you know, B12 deficiencies is a, it's a huge issue. It causes neurological problems, uh, Alzheimer's, lack of energy. And so, of course, the answer is, <laughs> the answer is, of course, to take a B12 uh, supplement. Now, this is outrageous because we know that people who are vegetarians, of course, are at increased risk of B12 deficiency. But now, even if people to eat meat, um, because of uh, if, because they're taking proton pump inhibitors, if they're taking proton pump inhibitors, they too can become B12 deficient. So eating meat is no longer a, uh, a guarantee uh, for sufficient or adequate B12 intake. And so these, these drugs are... Uh, you know, have a profound effect. Now, the other thing that proton pump inhibitors can do for you is increase uh, your chances of getting pneumonia. So if you're taking a proton pump inhibitor, your chances of getting pneumonia can be as much as 2.6 times higher than if you were not taking a proton pump inhibitor. This is a big deal, especially when you consider 50 thousand Americans every year die of pneumonia. And so um, they're not really sure how the uh, this relative risk is mediated or how it happens, but it does happen. And then, of course, we know that about uh, Clostridium difficile. And so there are many studies showing that taking proton pump inhibitors increase the risk of C. diff. And C. diff is the new um, bacteria in the hospital that um, is causing a tremendous increase in the amount of uh, death in the hospital. And so C. difficile is a difficult infection, what they call C. difficile, and um, it's resistant to antibiotics, and the death rate is upwards of uh, 10%, sometimes as high as 30%. And so, um, of course, there's been some conflicting studies, but um, quite a few studies showing that it does cause that problem. Now, traveler's diarrhea. The problem with traveler's diarrhea is so uh, dramatic that when you travel, you actually travel alerts saying, stop your proton pump inhibitors before you travel. Why? Because the pH in the stomach with proton pump inhibitors is increased um, in excess of four, and this makes a ready entry for the salmonella and shigella. And so they said a meta-analysis of the diagnosis of enteric infections, I mean stomach or intestinal infections, did identify an increased risk of bacterial infection associated with the use of proton pump inhibitors as much as six-fold. So in other words, you're much as, as much as six times more likely 
to get an intestinal diarrheal infection if you're taking a proton pump inhibitor. Now, they've, done, they've repeated the study uh, recently, of course, they've repeated the study. Now, who repeated the study, we don't know, uh, showing, of course, not a link. Well, we know how that goes. And so, uh, this is a real problem. Now, even the doctors say, use the term small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO or SIBO. The condition is associated with bloating, diarrhea, and malabsorption, and it's been associated with proton pump inhibitor use. But the meaning of the association is uncertain. Now, this is shocking. So, if you use a proton pump inhibitor, 50% of patients are going to have this issue. If you don't use proton pump Oh, if you, and, and then 24% of people with irritable bowel and 6% of healthy people. So if you're healthy, you don't use proton pump inhibitors, only 6% of those people are going to have small intestinal bowel overgrowth. But if you use a proton pump inhibitor, it increases to 50%. That's a fair amount of distress. And the prevalence of small intestinal bowel overgrowth increased after one year of treatment with proton pump inhibitors. And this is supported by a similar study. Of, uh, so a second study shows that within eight weeks of using proton pump inhibitors, um, the incidence of small intestinal bowel overgrowth increased. Now, this is so dramatic. I've actually seen people develop this condition after just one pill. They take one proton pump inhibitor dose, one dose, and boom. Uh, they have bloating, discomfort, and misery endlessly. So the bottom line, this is again, this is doctor-friendly, drug-friendly source. The relationship between proton pump inhibitor use and the development of small intestinal bowel overgrowth is still not understood. In other words, it's not disputed. There can be no dispute. It's just not understood. So what they're saying then is because we haven't done more research they're going to dismiss it. Um, so it's not understood, but the association is there. Now here's another one, in case uh, <laughs> you don't have enough misery. Spontaneous bacterial peritonitis. This is a miserable issue to have. So what does this mean? You have something in your stomach called bowels or intestines. And when they break open, they can spill out bacteria into the abdominal cavity. This is called bacterial peritonitis. There's something called spontaneous bacterial peritonitis, which means without the bowels breaking open, all these bacteria end up outside the bowel, in the peritoneum, causing an infection. So uh, this, is, uh, this is really outrageous. So what they found was there's a relationship between proton pump inhibitor use and the development of spontaneous, that means no cause, bacterial peritonitis in hospitalized cirrhotic patients with ascites. So these patients have fluid in their abdomen and this fluid becomes infected. So one study found a strong association, a relative risk as high as 11-fold. Wow. 
And of course, there was another study. Always have to, when you study finds a problem, got to come up with another study showing no problem, uh, which they did, showing no more than a 2.6 fold increase, anywhere from 0 to uh, 2.6. And so um, then they did a meta analysis, which means they looked at several studies, pooled them together, and found yes, uh, as high as a four fold increase. And so they recommend that proton pump inhibitors should be used carefully and only when clearly indicated for the cirrhotic patients. And so this is a code word for uh, could kill the patient, but uh, keep using it. <laughs> okay. So this is looking uh, pretty bad. So interstitial nephritis. That means, nephritis means inflammation of the kidneys. This is also caused by these uh, proton pump inhibitors. So several case reports have implicated proton pump inhibitors as a cause of acute, that means sudden, interstitial, that means the connective tissue, nephritis in the kidney. The disorder is a hypersensitivity inflammatory reaction of the kidney. A systemic review from 2007 found 64 cases in the literature. 12 of which were considered certainly associated, and 9 probably associated with proton pump inhibitors. And the symptoms were, of course, vague and included nausea, feeling sick, and fever. And so we're saying this is a very low frequency, it's rare, but the association cannot be dismissed. In other words, they cannot ignore this one. And so a uh, high level of clinical suspicion uh, should be employed to detect this problem early in its course, especially if it starts right after you give a person a proton pump inhibitor. Now, this also definitely uh, you know, gives support to what I used to do in my medical practice. If someone's taking any drug at all and they developed an illness, I would assume that the drug was the cause of their new onset of symptoms until otherwise determined. And so this is the danger of these drugs. And these drugs are just, uh, just um, really, really a fraught with, with danger and with hazard. And so, what do they tell the doctors? They should say, the, this is what they're saying doctors should do. Um, the potential adverse effects should be not dismissed, but put in perspective. So don't dismiss them, but just put them in perspective relative to the vast universe of patients receiving this class of therapy. The evolving data on C. difficile should be monitored carefully. So in other words, keep using this drug, doctors, but keep, out, keep on the lookout for more reports about C. difficile. The clinical risk-benefit of any medical intervention or therapy should always be evaluated for each patient, and appropriate use of therapy should be directed accordingly. Because proton pump inhibitors are overprescribed in many patients, now, how can you say a drug, which is over-the-counter, requires no prescription, is overprescribed? So in other words, the FDA has obviously deemed it to be so safe that it's over the counter. And now they're saying there's such a thing as overprescribing. 
in particular for continued long-term use, the clinical effects always should be reviewed and the attempts should be justified to stop any therapy that may not be needed. So what you're saying then is you should look at proton pump inhibitors and stop the therapy if it's not needed. Which means the implication then is you should not stop it if it's doing harm. Just stop it if it's not needed. And this is, uh, this is a, an incredible, um, really, indictment of the way doctors are urged to continue to put patients' lives in danger. And if a therapy is causing harm, that's not reason enough to stop it if the patient requires that therapy. Oh, I'm sorry, if the therapy is needed. Now, the other question, of course, which is never broached here, is how about looking for another um, alternative? Maybe there are other things that the doctor could do that might be helpful besides the proton pump inhibitor. So should the doctor consider other therapies? Well, according to this article, the implication is absolutely not. That's ridiculous. If the patient is indigestion, pumping a proton pump inhibitor seems to improve it, then of course you should not look for any other way to handle the indigestion, even if the person is having issues like C. difficile or um, kidney failure or abdominal uh, spontaneous infections. So this is the, the state of affairs with this particular drug or drug class. So of course what you need to know is, well, what's a proton pump inhibitor? How can I find it? I'll never forget the little purple pill. And so the question is, what's a list of all these pills? First one was omeprazole. The first one out the gate. So omeprazole was Prilosec. So Prilosec is one, so if you're taking Prilosec, if you're taking Losec, another name for it. Prevacid is another one. Zegrid, another one. Protonix, another one. Asifex, another one. And Nexium. So these are all proton pump inhibitors. And Each drug has, of course, several reasons why you should take it. And if you take a look at these reasons, duodenal or gastric ulcer, these are caused by bacteria whose frequency or presence is enhanced and increased by this class of drugs. GERD, gastroesophageal reflux, again, a condition that is uh, mediated by parasites whose presence is enhanced by these drugs. Erosive esophagitis for maintenance, erosive esophagitis for treatment, and NSAID-induced ulcer. So these drugs promote the invasion of the stomach and intestines by parasites. And yet these drugs are being recommended. The doctor is being advised to prescribe them for conditions that are actually worsened by parasites. And this is part of the reason why, or how, 880,000 Americans every year die as a result 
of the medications that they receive. <laughs> so, uh, this is absolutely um, shocking. You've got these parasites that are able to penetrate the body at a pH uh, of 3 or greater. You have these proton pump inhibitors that establish these pHs of 4 or more. And then you have uh, just an incredible laundry list of substantial conditions caused by the proton pump inhibitors, um, not least of which is esophageal adenocarcinoma. So this is really just a devastating uh, maneuver to take these drugs. I know a lot of people like to blame their doctor for prescribing it, but you have to say, well, why am I taking it? So what can you do for indigestion? There's another question. What can you do for indigestion instead of taking a proton pump inhibitor? There's actually there's a lot you can do. So obviously the proton pump inhibitor lowers the acid. When you lower the acid, you get sicker. So what do you do? Answer, increase your acid. How do you do that? A simple way to do it is just take apple cider vinegar, which is very acidic. And so, um, one or two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar before meals uh, will help uh, solve this problem. Well, let's say that doesn't work. You don't like that. Well, there is, of course, you can take what's called good bacteria. I mean, it's bacteria um, that help you heal. The simplest way to do that, especially if you have serious um, GERD or reflux or indigestion, is to use sauerkraut juice. And the best way to go with sauerkraut juice is to start with a tablespoon and build up. Some people need as much as uh, half a cup, that's a lot, half a cup of um, sauerkraut juice before their meals. But start slow, start with a teaspoon or a tablespoon, and you can actually start with that and ease off your proton pump inhibitor while you're adding or increasing your sauerkraut juice dose. The other cure, and I know this is going to sound pretty outrageous, is drink water. They have done study after study after study that shows if people who have ulcers or gastroesophageal reflux increase their water intake by one or two liters a day, it means drink one or two liters more water than what you are now drinking, then boom, the indigestion, even the ulcers clear up. Now, I have to say, duh, what kind of water? Answer, distilled. Why? It's acidic. So if you're drinking alkaline water, obviously alkaline water at a pH of seven or more is not going to lower the stomach pH to three or less. Right? Can't get there. So you want to drink uh, acidic water. A lot of people say to me, What are Daniels? How do I alkalinize my blood? Deep breath. Breathe in. Hold. Breathe out. And what does that do? That literally expels acid, carbon dioxide, which is acid. And so that lowers the acidity of your blood, which is appropriate, without lowering the acidity of your stomach, which is inappropriate. So, that is what needs to be done. Well, we have got tons of questions in the chat room. 
So people have questions. Let's see, we go check, uh, check the phone lines here. They can click their buttons and we can handle questions. But the bottom line is um, these drugs increase cancer phenomenally, esophageal cancer. Now they had a front page article on the Wall Street Journal, and this was in the 90s, showing that esophageal cancer had already increased sevenfold. This is in the 90s. And this increase was attributed totally to proton pump inhibitors. And um, now what they're doing is averaging all the cancer increases um, over the past 25 years and saying, oh, it's only up sixfold. So so I say, but why have it increase at all? Right? So why even uh, increase your risk of esophageal cancer? So we can go even to WebMD. WebMD says esophageal cancer is on the rise. Oh, my God. Lions and tires and bears. Oh, my. So it's as if they have no clue about what causes this. And so they say it's a mysterious challenge. As recently as 1975, 75% of esophageal cancers were squamous cell cancers. Since then, the pattern of esophageal cancer changed in a major way. Adenocarcinoma rates have risen dramatically. So an adenocarcinoma is the cancer associated with proton pump inhibitors. Now, of course, on this site, they don't mention the association. So WebMD says, golly geez, we are stunned. We have no idea. But, again, because of this is the era of the Internet, you can go to other sites and check and see uh, what happens. Oh, who gets these cancers? This is, this is instruction, instructional. So groups commonly affected. So squamous cell cancer is uh, African-American men and Asian-American men. Adenocarcinoma is Caucasian men. Why the racial difference? Is it genetic? No. It's just that white males historically have had more access to prescription drugs or use them more often. That's it. And as we get more people acculturated to using prescription drugs, accepting proton pump inhibitor prescriptions from their doctors, or going to the store and getting this over-the-counter uh, available prescriptions, we will see that adenocarcinoma will increase in all populations. And so, um, it is definitely on the increase. And, of course, this is all treated as just a big mystery. And they're saying that esophageal cancer is on the rise. That's a risk factor is over 60, male tobacco use, alcohol use, various esophagitis. Uh, frequent drinking of very hot beverages. I guess that would be tea or coffee. And so it's all these different associations that make no sense at all until you realize, wait, the real association here is proton pump inhib inhibitors. And so uh, now they say, well, a physician can only diagnose Barrett's esophagitis, which is a precancer lesion, through upper endoscopy. And so... Nothing here, no mention of 
have your doctor see if you're taking a proton pump inhibitor and why don't you stop the proton pump inhibitor if you're worried about esophageal cancer. And one thing I noticed in my medical practice, although uh, personally I did not prescribe proton pump inhibitors, it was not, I didn't do that. But people would come to me who had prostate, I mean, uh, esophageal cancer, and I would notice that they were exclusively um, middle class and Caucasian. In other words, these were people who had access to proton pump inhibitors and were taking them. And so very, very interesting. And so there's this big attempt to paint as uh, racial, something that actually is really more um, associated with certain types of habits, namely taking prescription drugs. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Daniels, adenocarcinoma is a glandular cancer. Could it be an iodine deficiency? In this case, no, there's no evidence of that because the frequency of the cancer has increased sixfold, but the frequency of iodine deficiency is not. So it's really not a um, association there, but there's a clear association between the use of proton pump inhibitors. So, so, Dr. Daniels, if a person used proton pump inhibitors in the past, would the damage be permanent, or is it just the continued use? That's a good question. Um, they have found that with polyps caused by proton pump inhibitors, when the proton pump inhibitor is stopped, that often the polyps will regress. But I would say, if you have a history of using proton pump inhibitors in the past, then it would certainly be a very good precaution to um, use some type of acid like uh, apple cider vinegar or sauerkraut juice to re-acidify your stomach and fortify it and make it stronger. Have the Vitality capsules gone on sale already? Yes, they have. The Vitality capsules are not on sale right now, but you can still get them at vitalitycapsules.com at the regular price. <laughs> Dr. Daniels, should I eat plenty of salt in order to produce HCL in my stomach? No. Salt is very alkaline. So it's NaCl, sodium plus chloride. And so um, the increased use of salt is not going to protect you uh, in this case. What you may uh, want to increase, again, is apple cider vinegar, or sauerkraut juice. So you want acid. Now, does this mean you should not salt your food? No. Uh, what it does mean, though, is maybe you should not drink salt water between meals, um, but the, the salt is not going to solve your problem here. Okay. <laughs> All right, so Dr. Daniels, word is slowly spreading of the dangers of drugs. Yes, so um, <laughs> so okay. The next question, Dr. Daniels, I've always heard that stomach, pancreatic, blood, and liver cancer means pretty much game over. Is this the case? Not. Uh, not really. It depends on what is causing the problem. 
a lot of um, stomach, uh, certainly stomach, blood, and liver cancers are really uh, infestations with parasites and worms. And in those cases, people who address that issue actually have a pretty good reversal. Um, and people have uh, blood type cancer, that can be reversed with blood cleansing. Now, the pancreatic cancer, that's a very interesting one. Um, way back when I was in medical school in 1979 to 83, they would say, if you have, pan if you have a patient with pancreatic cancer, tell him to cancel his magazine subscriptions. That would be like telling someone on the internet age to unsubscribe from all their lists because they're not going to live long enough to get any more messages. <laughs> but what was found, and this is uh, see, it's 2016 now, about uh, 2012, just around the time uh, Steve Jobs died, was that if you have pancreatic cancer and you take, I quote, a fistful of vitamins and supplements, that you can actually um, live several years with pancreatic cancer. Now, another thing a sample of pancreatic cancer is the diagnostic criteria have changed drastically. So back when I was um, in medical practice, they were going from diagnosing pancreatic cancer based on biopsy results to diagnosing it based on CAT scan results. And so now that we have um, much more sensitive methods of diagnosis um, and we're doing CAT scans more routinely, people are being diagnosed earlier and earlier. And so it's not clear if we have increased survival or if we're just watching people for a longer period of time. That often happens. It's called lead time bias. And just because we're um, watching these cancers for a longer period of time or we're aware of them for a longer period of time, this is being confused with uh, effectiveness of therapy. Okay. All right. Okay, we're going to slide this down. We're going to try and page down. Ah, there we are. Okay. <laughs> Dr. Daniels, I have heard that a professional scientist can always produce a conflicting study if paid enough money for it. Is this the case? Unfortunately, this is the case. There are companies who specialize in doing research and getting whatever uh, result the person paying them would like to have. And this is something, by the way, it's being done with people who are uh, selling supplements. They are also paying for studies. And so now all of these studies that, we, that uh, are being done these days are pretty much questionable. It's like the um, organic label. It's just not what it used to be. <laughs> okay. So let's slide down. Isn't a polyp just a pimple probably storing fat and toxins that the liver had to put somewhere? Yes and no. So polyps come in all sizes. And so a polyp could be um, what's called a sessile polyp. It means a flat polyp, like just like a slightly raised pimple. Or it can be a pedunculated polyp. That means it can be on a string or a tether. Or the polyp can just be a lot larger, like two, three, even five centimeters. So the larger the polyp is, the more likely the polyp has progressed to cancer. And so this is the, the, the issue with the proton pump inhibitors, 
is that they allow these bacteria to establish themselves in the stomach and start growing and growing and growing. Whereas without the proton pump inhibitor, the uh, bacteria in question would just slide right through uh, the intestines and go right through to the toilet. No harm done. Um, so it does matter that the bacteria are hanging around. It does matter that they're causing inflammation and growth of lumps uh, and bumps. So I would not ignore it. What I would do is stop the proton pump inhibitor and definitely go on a chemical-free diet. Dr. Daniels, does the ulcer cause a germ? Does a germ cause a disease? How does this work? Um, right now, the etiology that's perceived, and I agree with it, is that the germ causes the ulcer. And continued presence of the germ, if you want to call it that, combined with the weak immune system, um, causes the cancer. So this is how the progression is. Now, we say causes, we have to say uh, leads to. But with um, Helicobacter pylori, we know that Helicobacter pylori is a contaminant of tap water. So obviously, the simplest way to protect yourself from these out-of-control germs is to filter your tap water. And that's why I recommend distilled or reverse osmosis because that way you don't get the contamination in the first place and your immune system does not get stressed. <laughs> this is interesting. So, Dr. Daniels, do gut flora have to sneak in when stomach acid is low? No. Very good question. Normal gut flora, such as lactobacillus, love it when the pH is uh, 2 or even lower. So, in other words, your good bacteria love that low stomach pH. That's what they thrive on. The bad guys don't do so well. So everything is designed, set up for your health. And problems happen when you resort to drugs that suppress your, um, your body's good defenses. Okay, let's take a look at the um, chat room, not chat room, but the, the phone, phone board, see if we have any questions, and we don't. Okay, so a word from our sponsor. Visit vitalitycapsules.com forward slash remedies and get your free report if you haven't already. Remedies so powerful, they could make antibiotics obsolete. That's right, they could make antibiotics obsolete. Now, there was a question uh, on last week's topic that I did not get to answer, and I think it's an important question. As you recall, the topic was uh, when breath becomes air, the story of a young man who went into medicine where his health was destroyed, and he developed cancer, and then he was basically killed by the medical industrial complex as in the course of treating his cancer. So the question was, did he at any point become aware of what was happening? I would have to say no. Not only did he ever become aware, but even his family um, did not become aware of what happened to him and how he was um, just destroyed by the system. And the medical industrial complex 
um, really does not discriminate. It uh, kills its own, it kills others. Anyone who didn't get the memo, that's it, they're done. <laughs> Dr. Daniels, would you accept a ticket to the Olympics this year in Rio if you were given it for free? I mean, with all the health issues they're declaring over there. Okay, so for my health, I would not fear for my health by going to the Olympics in Rio. Um, all of these declarations are political. There's not uh, biological evidence of any of these illnesses. 90 seconds. The problem with going to the Olympics is if you go to the Olympics, would you be declared a health threat and not be allowed to re-enter your country of origin? I don't know. So all of this is extremely political. Dr. Daniels, could the outbreaks reported in the news media associated with eating chicken, could it be attributed to proton pump inhibitor use or antibiotic use in meat? Actually, both. And that's why... 60 seconds. Literally one-fourth... Uh, one of Americans get a diarrheal illness every year. All right, that is it. As always, think happens and don't be caught unaware because I'll tell you, it doesn't take much, a moment of inattention, and you can be sucked into the meat grinder vortex of the medical industrial complex. And we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.